Try placing a handful of marbles in your mouth and then delivering an important speech. You would sound like a garbled mess. Respected theologian J.I. Packer said, the church mumbles on about God's kindness, but says virtually nothing about his judgment. The prophet Nahum never mumbled his words, especially about the wrath of God. Instead, with holy clarity, he proclaimed a divine verdict upon the evil Ninevites, to whom Jonah preached more than 100 years earlier. There was no mumbling in the short but seething oracle Nahum delivered about their eventual doom. Do you have marbles in your mouth? When it comes to proclaiming the kindness and severity of God, the church should never be silent, nor should we ever mumble for God. I'm Ron Jones. And this is something good. God is a loving God. Merciful, patient, kind, but he can also be wrathful. Hello, I'm Brian Davis and this is Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Thanks for stopping by and we don't like talking about the wrath of God. We'd rather focus on His grace, His compassion, His goodness and mercy. But wrath is a very real part of His character. What does that wrath look like? For whom is it reserved? Ron has answers coming your way next as he continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay right here with us or drop by somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. You can also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. With today's Something Good Radio message, Nahum, slow to anger. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. The wrath of God is not a subject that uh, most preachers talk about uh, very often and understandably so because uh, most people would, would rather hear about the love of God or God's grace or His mercy. And uh, let's just be honest, most preachers want to be liked by their congregation. So they tend to avoid the subject of the wrath of God. Therefore, a steady diet of feel-good messages fills most pulpits today. Sermons that empower us to reach our full potential in Christ as important as that is, well, those kinds of ser sermons are not in short supply. Uh, however, if I were to advertise a Sunday sermon using a title like this, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, you ever heard of that one? Most people would take a day at the beach, even on a rainy day like today. We just don't want to hear it, right? The wrath of God. A respected theologian J.I. Packer says the church mumbles on about God's kindness, but says virtually nothing about his judgment. I wonder if that's because uh, to speak about the wrath of God suggests that he is cruel or that uh, he's lacking in self-control. Uh, somebody once asked, if God is wrathful, does he need to attend an anger management class? Well, well no, that's not the idea. On the contrary, uh, the wrath of God in fact, write this down. Here's a good definition. The wrath of God speaks of the just and righteous consequences laid upon unbelievers who ultimately reject God's love, his grace, and his mercy. Let me say that again. The wrath of God uh, speaks of the just and righteous consequences 
Consequences that are built into the universe laid upon unbelievers who ultimately reject God's love and his grace and his mercy. By the way, the first expression of divine wrath was when God expelled Adam from the Garden of Eden after Adam had already chosen to disobey God of his own free will and then hidden the bushes. Adam, you, 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 know, you know the deal. You know the deal. And now the consequences are we can't live together in paradise. The prophet Nahum delivered another expression of God's righteous wrath in the Bible. Uh, it only contains three chapters, the book of Naaman does, and in it he proclaimed the divine verdict, the final verdict upon the Ninevites. Do you remember the Ninevites when we studied the book of Jonah? Uh, Jonah was sent by God uh, more than 100 years before Nahum, some say up to 150 years before, to preach the message of repentance to the Ninevites. He was the only prophet of God sent to a Gentile nation. And we said in our study of the book of Jonah that Jonah is the God so loved the world book of the Old Testament because now God's message of grace and restoration and forgiveness was going beyond Israel to the Ninevites, which were part of the Assyrian Empire. Well, begrudgingly, Jonah witnessed a great spiritual awakening among the, the Ninevites. However, uh, uh, their, their repentance was short-lived. The Assyrians went back to their old ways. They quickly returned to their pagan gods and to their cruelty. And so after a period of time, the Lord sends Nahum. And he sends him with a seething oracle that prophesied the final doom of the Ninevites. Uh, there's just one subject Introduced in uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, an oracle concerning Nineveh. And it's a, it's, it's a tough one. Uh, Nineveh, of course, again, was that mighty metropolis of the awesome Assyrian Empire, the superpower of her day. Uh, long before the Apostle Paul wrote his letter to the Romans and asked us to consider two things, the goodness and severity of God. You wouldn't put those two words together in the same sentence, but they're found in Romans 11 and verse 22. He says, consider the goodness and the severity of God, Paul says. Well, long before that, God sent two prophets to Nineveh. One was Jonah. And it was through Jonah that the mighty Assyrians learned about the goodness of God. This is what Jonah was all upset about. He says, I knew you were kind. I knew you were gracious. I knew uh, uh, you were slow to anger. And, and, and the Ninevites responded to God's message of love and grace. But again, they quickly returned to their old ways. It was really a failure of the repentant generation to pass their faith in Yahweh to the next generation because generations that followed in the city of Nineveh, went back to the pagan gods and to their cruel ways. And then the Lord sends Nahum, who, who warned these subsequent generations about God's impending severity after they returned to the way, evil ways of their forefathers. Now, both Jonah and Nahum mention that God is slow to anger. That's the title I chose. I, I, I could have titled it, you know, The Wrath of God, but there's, there's something about the character of God, even in his wrath, where he, he's slow to anger. Uh, Jonah mentions this. Naaman mentions it in the first few verses. 
But more than a century after Jonah, Naaman adds these words, uh, descriptive of the character of God and the person of God as he reveals himself in Scripture. He says, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Oh, yes, he is slow to anger and great in power, Naaman adds. But then he says, the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Now, those are disturbing words. He'd rather have a day at the beach than hear, hear a prophecy like this. But... Um, any understanding, complete understanding of the character of God must include his jealousy, his vengeance, and his wrath. Uh, for example, um, the Lord identifies himself as a jealous God on Mount Sinai when he gave uh, uh, Moses the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Lord's jealousy is not like ours, he's, he's never petty. But he did say, as he established his prohibition about worshiping other gods and his prohibition against idolatry, he gave this reason, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. It's a protective kind of jealousy. You ought to be jealous of your marriage relationships, husbands, wives, protecting it. The Lord says, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. He's, he's jealous for our relationship with him. He's jealous and protective of his holy name in much the same way that a corporation like uh, Apple or McDonald's uh, protects their brand. You know, you, you can't besmirch their brand. Thus the Lord protects his holy name. Also keep in mind that vengeance belongs to the Lord. The Apostle Paul reminds us of that in Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Again, unlike us, when the Lord avenges his holy name, he does so without spite. He's not spiteful, nor is he unpredictable. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't throw a temper tantrum. He doesn't erupt like Mount Vesuvius. That's not what the wrath of God is all about. Instead, he patiently administers absolute justice while he's in full control. He does so in his own way, and he does so at the right time. And as uh, both Nahum and Jonah say, he's slow, slow to anger, giving um, unbelievers time to repent, more time than any of us deserve. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Visit our updated website, somethinggoodradio.org, for more information on this series or to hear any of Ron's daily messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. When you stop by, check out our Something Good travel experiences. Travel beyond belief with Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones to Bible lands like Israel, Greece, Italy, Jordan, Turkey, and Egypt. Walk in the footsteps of Jesus or navigate Paul's missionary journeys. Several new travel experiences are now open for registration. Learn more at somethinggoodradio.org travel. God is the living water that makes it possible for us to never thirst again. But He is also a consuming fire. 
with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Nahum, Slow to Anger. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Uh, By no means will he acquit the guilty, Nahum says. He he doesn't grade on a curve. He, He doesn't just say, well, boys will be boys. By no means will he acquit the guilty. However, his first desire is to show mercy, to extend grace, to forgive our iniquity. Uh, All of that just in the first few verses of uh, the book of Nahum. Now, Nahum goes on to to use some vivid imagery to describe what it looks like when God is full of wrath. Let's pick it up in the middle of verse 3 and read all the way through verse 8. He says, his way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The blooms of wet Lebanon wither. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? Are you still with me? (laughs) Would you rather head to the beach about right now? I would. Uh, But let's read on. His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. And then he inserts verse 7. Mark verse 7. Underline it in your Bible, because I'm going to come back to it at the end. In the midst of all this, he says, the Lord is good. A stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. Verse 8. But... With an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of his adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. Those words remind me of the warning that we find in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 29, which reads, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, that, that, that's not the image that we like to lay our head in the pillow, you know, next to or wake up in the morning next to. It should inspire in a proper way the fear of God in us, an awesome respect for who this God is. Yes, a God of love and grace and mercy, but also a God who is wrathful and and vengeful. For sure, Nineveh, the ancient Ninevites, were doomed. And this time, unlike Jonah's prophecy, this time, God's prophet offered no hope for a repentant remnant. Naaman teaches, though God is slow to anger, his righteous wrath will ultimately fall upon his enemies. And that's something that we all need to soberly consider, especially proud people in arrogant nations. Did you notice at the end of verse 8, it says, the Lord will pursue his enemies into darkness. And then it says he will make a complete end of his adversaries. Does God have enemies? Does God have adversaries? And if he does, who are his enemies? I'd like to know that. I want to make sure I'm not on God's bad side, that, that he won't pursue me into darkness. Well, an enemy of God is one who opposes The presence and purposes of God in this world. Let me say that again. An enemy of God is somebody who opposes the presence and purposes of God in this world. And we know from Scripture, from Nahum and elsewhere, God categorizes some people as his adversaries. 
his enemies. Psalm 92 and verse 9 says, For behold, your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. And again, this is a sobering reality to digest from Scripture. And it should make all of us uh, at least examine ourselves carefully in light of uh, what Scripture tells us. By the way, it's good news to know that Jesus called his disciples friends, not enemies. In John chapter 15 and verse 15, he says, you're my friend. Uh, we, we used to sing in church, I am a friend of God and he is my friend. Abraham you know, was called a friend of God. However, uh, the Bible does tell us in Romans chapter 5, for instance, that you and I were enemies of God before we became children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what changes our status from enemies of God opposed to his presence and his purposes in this world and in our lives. It changes our status from that to being children of God. Uh, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1 and verse 12, to all who received him, to those he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name, referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we're not all children of God because we hold hands and sing, we are the world. No. Uh, the Bible says apart from Christ, we're his enemies. In Christ, <laughs> uh, we, we are his children. We're his friend. Uh, we're also joint heirs with Christ. There's an inheritance that comes with our, our, our position in Christ. Now, throughout the book of Nahum, uh, Nahum describes the future desolation of Nineveh. And he does so with a, with a skill and an art form that is, that is really vivid in his literary eloquence. In chapter 2, for instance, he pictures an army. This is, this is a prophecy, uh, a future thing happening. An army, which he calls the scatterer, coming against Nineveh with red shields and scarlet uniforms. He says their chariots race madly through the streets of the city and their spears glitter in the sun, appearing like flashes of lightning. I mean, it's vivid imagery here. A flood overruns the city, washing away the wall, the giant wall that was built around the ancient city of Nineveh, aiding the entrance of Nineveh's enemies who overtake her. God even says in chapter 1 and verse 14 that he will personally dig Nineveh's grave. Well, that's something to digest. I mean, he, he isn't messing around here. Again, it's a final verdict. They had the offer of grace and mercy and all of that through Jonah. Now, a century later or more comes the final verdict after much patience. And no wonder in chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, hearts melt, knees tremble, anguish is in all loins, all faces grow pale. And in chapter 3, verse 19, the end of the book, it says, all who hear about Nineveh's destruction clap their hands. Those who have been on the receiving end of their evil and their brutality are saying, yes, finally the Lord has done justice to the Ninevites. The Lord holds nothing back. Again, it's a final verdict. Chapter 2 and verse 13, Behold, I am against you, he says to Nineveh. And I will burn your chariots in smoke, and the sword shall devour your young lions. I will cut off your prey from the earth, and the voice of your messengers shall no longer be heard. 
Uh, twice he says to the Ninevites, once here in chapter 2, again in chapter 3, I am against you. You don't want to have the Lord against you. All right? That's a tough place to be. But again, he's been slow to anger. This has been building for more than a century. And now the just and righteous consequences that they've been forewarned about, well, it's, it, it, it's payday. You know, historians tell us that Jonathan Edwards, when he, when he preached his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he, he also used vivid imagery to describe God's power in his wrath. Uh, he, he vividly described uh, the horrors of hell and the helplessness of human beings. Do you want to be a friend of God today? A child of God. The key is humility and repentance, through which you can receive God's gift of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. The Lord opposes the proud, but He always gives grace to the humble. Thanks for being here for today's Something Good Radio message, Nahum, Slow to Anger. We'll pick it up right here tomorrow when Ron continues his teaching series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed Something Good, did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to Something Good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 8.28, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. Partnership is essential in order for the body of Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. Always has been. Today, Ron wants to invite you to join him in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Something Good Radio broadcast. When you partner with us, we'll start by sending you a copy of Ron's popular book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. Other 828 Club benefits will arrive throughout the year. To join the 828 Club today, look for Something Good Partners at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or call 757-276-1099. If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'll send you an ebook written by Dr. Ron Jones that goes along with this current series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. This great resource covers road trip number five in our journey, each of the 12 minor prophets of the Old Testament, 
and it's our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Let me ask you this. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? (laughs) If it's not... Listen, friend, today is a day of salvation. You need to get to the cross as quickly as you can. That's your escape route from the wrath of God. It's not just about his love and his grace and, oh, you know, if you want to come along. No. Uh, His wrath, his righteous and just anger, though patient and slow to come, will eventually fall out upon the unbelievers of all time. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones explains the beauty of God's forgiveness in part two of his message, Nahum, Slow to Anger. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.